If you've been with us over the last number of weeks, you know that we have been exploring together the parallels that exist between the intense discipline, focus, and training that comes with participating in and getting ready to share in the Olympic Games, as well as the intense focus, training, and discipline that comes with the issue of financial and sacrificial giving. The greatest victories in athletics and in our giving, they don't come easily, they don't come without challenge, nor do they come alone. We operate best as a team. When you take a look at the Olympics, one of the things we notice is that about 75% of the events that occur there happen as an individual event. That is various track events, various swimming events, various gymnastic events, if you're shooting archery, All of those things, a lot of the time, are with individuals competing by themselves, or at least on the surface, it looks like they're competing by themselves. Because even those individuals who compete by themselves in a given moment in the event itself, even they have a team behind them. So the most dominant sprinter in Olympic history in recent times has been Usain Bolt. You probably have heard of him from Jamaica. He's a very entertaining kind of figure. He is currently the world record holder in the 100-meter dash at 9.58 seconds and the world record holder in the 200-meter dash at 19.19 seconds. Suffice it to say, he is a fast dude. He can run quickly down that track. He's clearly gifted. It would be easy to think he's doing it all on his own. After all, he's not throwing the ball to anyone or is anyone blocking for him. There's none of that kind of stuff going on. But even the great Usain Bolt needs a team behind him. He has a trainer. He has a masseuse. He's got communication folks. He's got publicists, not to mention the support of family and friends and mentors and lots of other folks all seeking to support him, do the best that he can do. So if the great Usain Bolt, with all his natural talent and gifts and abilities, needs a team behind him to win the prize, to stay focused and disciplined and inspired and committed, how much more do we need such a team? I'm guessing somewhere along the line, you've heard what team can mean. Team can mean together, everyone achieves more. And it's true. We really can do more. We can be better when we're together and not alone. This concept is one of my favorite parts of God's church. It is connectional in nature. You might remember that for every individual who joins the church, remember I say they don't join in a vacuum. They literally stand before you and anyone who's worshiping online, and we ask them to make promises to the greater body. And they say things like, I promise this day to give of myself through my time, my service, my gifts, my graces, my tithes, my offerings to the greater body. That is the team. And the greater body, the team, makes promises on behalf of those who are joining into that team. One of the reasons we take the concept of team so seriously is because Jesus himself makes it clear how important the team is. Jesus had his own team. The original 12 disciples formed a team that Jesus was always with. And eventually that team grew to include the church which began not too long after the life of Christ, and now we are a part of it. The Greek word for churches is a word called ekklesia. And it's an interesting word because the second part of that word, the kaleo part, means called. But the first part, the ek, means to or from. And so what that can mean is called from one place and called to another. And that's exactly what happens with God's church. We are called from the world 
and to God's people. That's exactly what's happening. It's this ecclesia idea. From one thing to another, we are called. And in essence, that is the joining or the switching from one team to another. Have you ever noticed that it's a pretty big deal when one athlete, especially in the professional sports world, changes teams and joins another Your allegiance is questioned. Your loyalty is questioned. For those of you who are NFL fans, you might remember a couple of years ago, Peyton Manning switched from the Indianapolis Colts to the Denver Broncos. And that was such a hard switch for those Peyton fans who had always associated him with the Colts. How could he do such a thing? More recently, if you are a basketball fan, you might know that Kevin Durant, a former MVP of the NBA, switched teams from the Oklahoma City Thunder to the Golden State Warriors. Again, the people have been in an uproar. How could he do that and changing allegiances and all of these things? Church, that's what we do when we join the church. We are shifting our allegiances and our loyalties. We are no longer loyal just to ourselves or loyal to the ways of the world, but we are affirming and giving ourselves to a new team. That is the body of Christ a team formed in God's image rather than the world's image. For weeks now, we've been watching the video bumper that we just saw a few minutes ago, and it includes a number of folks right here from First Church. And I'm sure you picked up on that, but I'm wondering if you are catching the full extent of what was being shared in that video bumper. And again, you being the smart folks that you are, I'm sure you caught it all, but I just wanted to highlight some of the symbolism that's going on there. You noticed there were young and old, there was running, there was training, there was some discipline, there were coaches, coaches, there were runners. But I also hope that you noticed very specifically that those shoes at one time or another were being passed from older generations to younger generations. There's that one picture in particular where it's being handed from uh, somebody of an older generation to a little girl of a younger generation. We do that because this bumper is intended to remind us we do not do this faith journey alone. We all belong to a team, both currently right here, right now, but also from days past. We are here. Literally, we can gather in this facility or even join online because of those who have gone before us and literally paved the way or given so that we today can reap the benefits of the ministries of this place. We are here because of those who have gone before us, who sacrificed on our behalf as part of God's team. The original facility for First Church happened across the street from where we currently are. The cornerstone of, it, of the FBC Center was, built, was laid in 1923. It was actually built in 1924. What's remarkable to me is that when they built the building, it still had over $100,000 of debt to be paid after it was built. Now, it was completed, like I said, around 1924, but being built. And then they were able to pay off the debt, which at that time was over $100,000, which even today is still a lot of money. That was a whole lot of money back then. By the mid-1940s, they were able to pay off that debt. Here's what's amazing to me. They paid off that debt while going through the Great Depression. And on top of that, if you know any of the history of Williamsport, in 1936, there was a great flood here that literally wiped out about two-thirds of the businesses of this place. So you can bet a lot of people connected with First Church at that time would have had their business or their work drastically impacted by that flood. And yet, in spite of the flood, in spite of the Great Depression, they still paid off the facility and the debt by the mid-1940s. How in the world were they able to do that? Because as an entire team, they sacrificed, they were focused, they were disciplined 
to offer the prize, the legacy of faith, not only for their own community in that day and that age, but for all who would follow after them. Their focus was to offer the prize, the living love of Jesus Christ. And today, you and I reap the benefits of their sacrifice. Hebrews 12.1 shares it this way. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. We are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses who have persevered on our behalf. Again, not just those today, but those who have gone before us. So I ask us now, what about us? What are we passing on to our team, both those right here right now, but also for those who will come after us, those that we will never even lay eyes on? Teams are powerful precisely because they can do much more together than apart. And when we look at teams, there's two things in particular I want us to notice, two advantages that teams give to us. So when we ask ourselves the question, what advantages do teams offer? Two things. The first one is this. They offer the advantage, the opportunity to encourage one another. In teams, we find encouragement. God never intended us to do this thing called life alone. Not only are we not intended to do life alone, but God himself comes to be with us. If you get a chance sometime, read through the Gospel of John, especially chapters 14 and 16. They are two of my favorite passages of Scripture. In those two chapters, it lays out for us God's Holy Spirit coming to us as something called a, the paraclete. We've talked about this word before. It literally means to come alongside, to encourage, comfort, guide. So literally, part of the role of God, part of the Holy Spirit, is to come to us, encourage us, lift us up, inspire us. It is literally a supernatural high of sorts because God does not leave us alone. The term paraclete was often used in a legal sense back in the day, and it was the idea of that person in the courtroom, like a lawyer, who was there to guide you, counsel you, help you navigate, move your way forward. But it was also used in ancient times, even in association with the Olympics, for the kind of coach who would come alongside the athlete and literally run beside them to inspire them, push them, and encourage them to go farther than they could. You and I are called to be paracletes for other people, to come alongside them and encourage them and help them, to guide them and console them. And again, with what's going on in our world, never has it been more important for us to be a paraclete kind of people. We do this thing together. That's why it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you, you are the body of Christ and each one of you is part of it. That's why when things happen that are sad or catastrophic, all of our hearts are heavy. All of our hearts mourn right now with France and the terrible violence that has just recently occurred there and the lives lost. Our hearts are heavy. At the same time, it's because we are connected that our hearts rejoice when good things come along. So when Pastor Janet was ordained a number of weeks ago, it wasn't just Janet that was ordained. We celebrate with her because we've walked with her and supported her and encouraged her and challenged her. So her victory and celebration was our victory and celebration. That's how God has designed us to be together, to encourage one another. 
If you've ever heard of John Maxwell, he is a great, uh, well-known coach and leader, especially in Christian circles. Uh, But even to wider audiences, his views and thoughts on leadership have impacted many. He talks at one point about a certain study that was done, and this was the study they did. They took individuals and they put them into ice-cold buckets of water, as cold as they could make the water. And they said to the individuals, stay in that water as long as you can. And so they did, and they would time the individuals and see how long they could stay in that freezing cold water. Then they did the same thing with another group of people, except with the second group of people, in addition to putting the individual in the ice cold water by themselves, they also brought along a friend, a companion who could be there standing beside them, not in the water, but just encouraging them and saying to them, you can do it. Hang in there a little bit longer, a few more seconds. They were there to distract them, help them, encourage them. And as a result of the study, what they found is that those who had the partner, the encourager, they were able to stay in the water twice as long as those who were by themselves. This is the power of team and encouragement. Together, we can be faster and stronger and go farther. I encourage you when the Olympics come this year, watch how many times you see the teams encouraging each other. Watch every time a coach pumps their fist when his or her athlete achieves their maximum potential. Watch the parents celebrating from the stands when their son or their daughter does something great. Who's on your team, First Church? Who are you right now encouraging and spurring on and encouraging in every way that you can? Once a year, we collectively as a church come together to encourage and challenge ourselves in the issue of stewardship. And now is that time of the year where we come together this one time to focus and lift up the challenges that are before us. It's interesting as soon as you lift something like that up, because we will always have one of two reactions when we are told and shared that, hey, there's a financial challenge that we face. The easier option is to do what most of our world does, especially in the social media realm. It will be very easy right now to criticize any financial challenge that we have. So we will say things like, well, how did we get here? Well, who made the wrong decisions? I told you we have too many staff. We don't need that ministry. The preacher's not good enough or we'd be doing better. The music's not good enough or we'd be doing better. The church isn't doing well enough or we'd be doing better. You know, the church isn't doing what I like anyhow, so I'm not going to give in that way anymore. You know, people's needs aren't being met, and that's why this isn't happening the way you would want it to. And on and on and on. And what are you doing in my finances anyhow? That's none of your business. Stay out. Who do you think they are? Who do they think they are anyhow? And we can do that, church. I mean, when the idea, the invitation to give sacrificially is given, we can criticize like that. And if we do so, it will get us absolutely nowhere. Or when the invitation is given, we can encourage one another as a team. And we can say, thank you for letting me know about the needs that we face. Thank you for sharing with me a way that I can make a difference. Thank you for the invitation to partner with God and what God is up to in a specific, tangible way. Thank you for the opportunity to make a sacrificial difference for something that really matters. Thank you for the chance to exercise my faith in a specific way for holy purposes. And thank you that in these times right now when there's so much injustice and violence and division and hurt and questioning in our world, And I want to know what I can do to literally make a difference in the world. Thank you for giving me that opportunity through the chance to give. 
to make our world a better, more holy, more beautiful place. Thank you. Depending on which response we give to our team says an awful lot about how spiritually deep or spiritually shallow we are in our faith walk. Somehow, church, what we know is that if we can encourage one another to give and to train and to sacrifice and to keep our eyes on the prize, somehow God will provide a way. We don't know exactly how, but we know God will provide a way. A few weeks ago, we were on a mission trip and we had shared that with you. And we thank you for your prayers as a number of our youth and some of the adults went to Crisfield, Maryland. When we were there the one evening, we did some activities together. And if any of you know Kelly Young, she led us through these activities the one evening. And one of the things she had us do was in each one of our crews, we were divided up and one member from each crew was selected and they were blindfolded. And Kelly put them in the middle of the room and beside each blindfolded person, there was allowed to be one other partner. The partner couldn't touch them to guide them, but could stand there to offer instructions. And then the rest of the crew had to stay a little ways away and just yell or offer encouragement or offer instruction or whatever it was they wanted to do. And the idea was for each blindfolded person to be able to listen to what was going on and what was being shared with them and move around the room and around the obstacles that were there and get to the prize that had been laid out. So we started this. And as you can imagine, there was tons of shouting and yelling. And we were sort of like, watch out for this. And why aren't you doing that? And just yelling all kinds of things. And eventually each person who was blindfolded navigated their way around chairs and over or under tables and eventually got to the prizes that were there. And when we were all done and each person had gotten the prize that they were intended, Kelly started asking them some questions. And one of the questions that she asked them was, what was most helpful to you as you were blindfolded and couldn't see? And it was interesting that what was shared that was one of the most helpful things was that they said it was when words of encouragement were yelled or shared that kept me going, that inspired me when I didn't know where I was going. It wasn't even so much the instruction and especially wasn't the, what are you doing? That was helpful. It was the words of encouragement to lift them up, to keep going. Church, we all need that. We are all encouraged together as a team to move forward and do things we've never done before, things we could not do on our own. Also on this particular mission trip when we were out there, I did something I had never done before. And I can guarantee you, I never would have done this by myself. I did not want to do this, but the team kept encouraging me and encouraging me and encouraging me. We had this exercise we did, and by the time it was done, I was doing this little dance thing out there, and I said, please do not videotape this or record this, and Josh, who was our Youth Fuse director, was out there, and he videotaped it. I don't know if we have it to show you, but I was like, since I did it once, I will put it up there and show you, and this is what I ended up doing, and let me guarantee with you, there's no way on my own you would have seen me doing something like this. But as soon as we had done it once, our whole team was like, oh, Pastor Matt, do one more time, do one. And I was like, no, no, no. And they were like, oh, do one more time, one more time. Finally, I relented and I did it. I was like, you know what? This is a good example to show you that we will do things that on our own we otherwise would not do. And so there you go. But all of us are that way. We all need encouragement to do what we otherwise wouldn't have done, to push us past our barriers, to train us and focus us and move us faster and higher and farther. Church, we encourage with our voices, we encourage with our actions, and we encourage through our giving. It's through our giving that we realize we are announcing our support of a vision in this place and the ways that we are impacting lives. It is a concrete and tangible way to change lives among us. 
It is literally a way to help fight the injustice and the division and the uncertainty that we face even in our own communities and literally help make the world a better, more beautiful place. Today, we are still encouraged by those who went before us, who literally invested in this place. We are still encouraged by Louise Stryker, who literally, her sacrificial gift and, the, and that of many others, created the resources for the very space that many of us in are in right now, in the CLC and other facilities that we have. Her giving literally has created space for people to be fed, to worship week in and week out, for kids in our community to come to a safe place and share an open gym nearly every week of the year. Her giving made that possible. We are still encouraged, especially for our youth, by people like Eric Haynes, who gave in such a way that we now have designated space for our youth. Again, a safe place for them to come. And just think for a moment of all the generations of our kids who can come to be mentored and encouraged and helped and inspired because somebody said, I can give in such a way as to impact the lives of kids, even generations of kids I will never even meet for the sake of the team. God makes it clear what kind of giver we're supposed to be. 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says, Each of you should just give what you've decided in your own heart to give, not reluctantly, not under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. Hebrews 10, 24, 25, Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love, toward good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. For all the more as you see the day of God approaching, good teams encourage each other. There is power in that. And that's what we seek to do together in this place. The second advantage that teams offer is this, the opportunity to challenge one another. In the last number of weeks, we have made no secret about trying to challenge each other in the area of stewardship. Church, healthy teams do this. Good teams do this. They challenge one another. They're direct. They're honest. They're upfront. Why? Because they care enough to make each other better. Healthy teams challenge each other to go farther than they thought they could to win the prize. And for us, that prize is the life found in Jesus Christ. And we realize we can do so much more together in that direction than anything we could ever do apart. One of the greatest challenges we face when it comes to this issue of stewardship is to realize it is spiritual in nature. It is a spiritual issue, a heart issue. It is a Jesus issue. It is a question of how all in we are for the heavenly prize. It's not a material issue at all. In fact, at its core, giving is always evidence of conversion going on in our lives. What in the world do I mean by that? I mean that the placement of the resources that are our disposal reveals who we truly serve. Our natural inclination is to only use our resources for us and only us. And we get offended when people ask us to use it in different ways. We all start life out trying to use everything we can for our own benefit, and many of us never grow beyond that mindset. That's why, again, some folks get upset to be asked to give. It it offends my sense of me and what I think I deserve. And we say to others, and especially the church, you have no right in that part of my life because I'm in it for me and my comfort and my survival, and I don't want you to threaten that. And if we do give, it's only out of a sense of compulsion and guilt. Fine, here, take some. I can ease my guilt and you get a little bit of money. That's the best that we can do. 
For many of us, we abide by what I would call the toddler's creed. I don't know if you've ever seen this, but I read this and I was kind of amused by it because it's so true. Here is the toddler's creed. And if you have a three-year-old child or grandchild, this isn't just something you have to think about. You experience this day in and day out. But here's the toddler's creed. If it's mine, it's mine. If it's yours, it's mine. If I like it, it's mine. If I can take it from you, it is mine. If I'm playing with something else, all the pieces are mine. If I think it is mine, it is. On the one hand, that can be kind of amusing, especially with a three-year-old. But in reality, this is exactly how many of us are when it comes to the resources at our disposal and giving to God. It's how we treat our giving as silly, self-obsessed, immature toddlers who want what we want when we want it. And don't you dare ask me to give from it. We act and believe like the resources that we have are there because I've achieved it. I've worked harder than other people. And what we tend to forget is that everything we have is ultimately a gift. Who was it that placed us in this particular century to live in this particular country at this particular time? Who was it that gave us literally enough health and air in our lungs to move about? Who was it that gave us minds that could think and clarity of thought and the ability to work hard? We didn't earn any of those things. It was all given to us as a gift. And yet it takes a holy act of God, a holy conversion experience, an acute awareness of Jesus to turn giving into a joyful endeavor in our lives, to move us out of that toddler phase of spirituality. And so right now I stand with you, I stand before you and sharing wherever you might be worshiping this day. And outside of a move of God right now, all you will hear me asking for this morning is money. It takes conversion to realize that we have the joy to resource something that we believe in for the sake of the kingdom. It takes conversion to realize there is nothing more important that we can do with our resources than to give them to God. It takes conversion to realize that other lives can be more important than our own. It takes conversion to realize that stewardship is a challenge that strengthens us in our faith and our walk with God. It defines where our true allegiances lie. Giving separates those who only talk about life in Jesus to actually training and moving into life in Jesus Christ. Giving reveals what's truly, truly important to us and who is truly Lord of our lives. As we have mentioned, giving challenges us to proclaim what we believe in such a way as that we offer the other, other people in our world the opportunity to participate with us in our vision and mission. And that is for the sake of the gospel and salvation of the world. We are declaring to the world that we have a vision that we are excited about, that we will give our all to, that we are inviting and investing ourselves in. And we invite that among us this day because we live in a world that so desperately needs the beauty and the life and the love and the grace of Jesus. This morning we shared in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, and there's a really interesting way the writer puts it. The writer says, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. That spur one another on, it's a really interesting phrase. If you look at it and break it down, the words behind it literally mean to give an indictment towards, to offer a dispute or come into contention with, really to exasperate somebody else. 
So what we're talking about here is literally a provoking of another. And that's an interesting thing to think about. What do you, none of us want to be challenged in that way or provoked in that way. And yet what the writer is saying is, I'm, I care enough about you. And if you care about each other, you will come alongside each other and cause some friction, cause some tension to push each other forward because you can be better. Spur one another on, provoke one another on to something better. Push yourselves and be pushed. This happens when we care enough about each other to look each other in the eye and say, you can do more. You can be more than what you currently are doing. Those who truly love us will stop us and take us by the shoulders and look us in the eye and say, I love you enough to tell you, you can do more and be more than what you currently are. When I was a senior in high school, our team was good enough to have made the playoffs that year, and we were going through the playoffs and going, and we had won a few games. But after the first couple of games, I, I was doing awful. I mean, I was so nervous. I had played well all year, and I got to play a lot. But then the playoffs came, and I just got all worked up, and I was so nervous about it all. And I still remember after a couple of those games, my coach came to me and literally sat me down, and he looked me in the eye, and he said, Matt, you can do better than what you've been doing. In fact, we need you to be better. If we're going to move on in the playoffs, you have got to play better. And I had my best playoff game in the next game. Because he came to me, he challenged me, provoked me, and he spurred me on. So church, I want to lay this particular challenge before you this morning. I debated on showing this to you, but I'm I'm going to share this with you. Because this is the challenge that we face. I want to show you a chart here this morning. It's a breakdown of our giving. If we could put that up there. It's a little bit hard to see, but on the bottom, what it is, is the giving for a given year. This is the year 2015. And on the, going on the column up on the left are the number of givers in each of those categories. We have about a little over 500 giving units in our church. And that involves anybody. It can be a one-person giving unit, a whole family giving unit, but well over 500 giving units. Here's what's interesting when you look at this chart. If you look clear to the left, about 90 folks clear in the category to the left are clearly associated with First Church or have membership with First Church, didn't give anything in the year 2015, not $1. And then if you look at the next category, which is the largest of them all, folks who gave $1,000 or less throughout the entire year of 2015 is about 240 folks. If you take 240 plus the 90 who didn't give anything, we're over 300 of our giving units who for the entire year gave $1,000 or less. If you do the Bible math, if this group of people is tithing, what that means is that what we're saying is half of us see a cumulative income of $10,000 or less in a given year. Now, that may be true, but personally, I find that very hard to believe that half of our families are seeing less than $10,000 a year. Church, this is the challenge that we face And so if you're one of those people who are more generous and you give more, you can see why your giving is so, so needed. But church, if you are here and you are in that category of giving $1,000 or less a year, you're hurting the team and what we're able to do. Our challenge is to learn to live for God rather than ourselves. And church, it is a deeply, deeply spiritual issue. It is a clear command from God, and we cannot live as Christians and consider this as optional. Our lack of giving, it's not just hurting the church. It hurts the community of which we are a part, because we will reach a point, if we don't have the resources, 
to continue with our staff and the ministries that they do. We reach a point where we can't offer open gym or we can't feed folks every Wednesday night or we cannot do our mission week that's coming up here in a few weeks. If we don't give sacrificially, if we don't move towards tithing and beyond, we may not like it, but we always need our team to come along to us and challenge us and spur us on to more to leave behind that which is insignificant and move towards those things with eternal consequences, to do more than we thought we otherwise could. So I want to ask us to think very carefully, what is it even that we can set aside or redirect in our life? Because there's a lot of things at our disposal that maybe we don't even realize. For example, here are just a couple that we can think about. Collectively in our country, we waste $443 billion worth of energy every year. For all of us, how many things do we leave plugged in every day, every night that never stop? And with a simple unplugging or not wasting energy, we would see a little bit less in the amount of bills that we have to pay, which would free up a little bit more resource to give in other directions. For those of us who love our daily or almost daily cup of coffee, what would it look like to give up four or five of those cups of coffee? That comes out to about $20 or more a week, and that adds up to over $1,000 a year that if we could say, I just want to redirect this. And believe me, I'm not saying coffee's bad. I'm not saying you shouldn't drink coffee. In fact, a lot of you, I'd say, keep drinking your coffee. You are grouchy people when you don't have your coffee. So I'm not saying coffee's bad. I'm just saying, can we redirect that? And something as small but as significant as those cups of coffee, it adds up. For those of us who have to have the premium cable package, if we can justify watching that much TV, that in and of itself is probably an issue. And I'll admit, this is a hard one for me. I love watching sports and seeing anything that I can find there. But what would it look like to say, I don't need that. I can find other ways to live. Every time we use an ATM machine not connected with our bank, we're spending 3 or $4.00. All the unhealthy habits that we have, we spend $117 billion a year just on fast food. We spend $2.8 billion a year just on Halloween candy, not to mention what we might spend on alcohol or tobacco or soda or anything else that really would be unhealthy. What would it look like to redivert some of those resources towards God instead of ourselves? Probably one of the biggest things is the credit card interest that so many of us have, that collectively Americans owe over $800 billion in credit card debt. Church, by eliminating some of these habits, not only would the deficit that we face going into 2017 be gone, we would have a plethora, an abundance beyond it. And if you still, I share share all those things with you this morning. If you didn't want to change one thing, I would say this to you this morning. If you were part of our vision initiative commitment over the last three years, where many of you committed to giving above and beyond, if every single one of us would just be willing to continue that giving, that vision initiative giving in the years to come, that too would completely cover any deficit that we are facing. And what I'm hoping is that for many of you, over the last three years, you learned to give at that vision initiative amount, and you learned to live with it. And it was okay. And you kept on going in life. So since that happened over the last three years, would you be willing to continue doing that? And if we all did... Everything would be covered. It would be a way of carrying our burdens together as a team. I don't know if you saw on our church Facebook page uh, recently, I saw this picture and I loved it. One of our groups of small men, uh, that's the wrong way to say it, is it? One of our small groups of men, there we go, uh, helped another gentleman in our congregation who needed to move. And when he needed to move, he was up pretty high. He wasn't just on the ground level. He was up in an apartment. I love this picture that these guys went and they literally, to help him move, put together, rigged a rope system together that they could lower down the heavy items and spent time one at a time carrying the heavy items literally on their back. 
And I love that because it's such a great image of Galatians 6 2. Let us carry each other's burdens. Not only is this helpful, but it fulfills the law of Christ. Church, that's what happens when we give collectively, when we tithe, when we offer to God. So I stand here this morning and I say to you that next Sunday we will be wrapping up this stewardship series and we will be asking next Sunday for you, for us collectively to come together as a team and bring forward our commitments before God and invite us to move into whatever next category we can to move to tithing or if we're tithing to move beyond it or continue our vision initiative or get rid of some of those things I just mentioned, some of those wasteful habits and give and to know that church collectively we can do it. The church, before I finish this morning, I want to say this to you. The truth is, and I know this as surely as I'm standing here, I can make that invitation to partner with us going into next Sunday. And there are some among us who, quite frankly, are irritated that I'm asking that, who simply don't want to help, who are just gritting their teeth until we get through this sermon series. And if that is you here this morning, let me simply say, I will pray for you. I am sorry that your heart has been robbed of God's generosity and joy and giving and to partner with God. I am sorry that the world has so jaded our ears that all we hear is a request and a plea for money rather than an invitation to partner with God. And I am sorry that giving is not a spiritual matter for you. And truthfully, at that point, if that is you, there's not much more we can do than pray for you. And we will. And pray for God to move and that there would be a true change of heart, a heart conversion. But I trust if it can happen for the Apostle Paul going from Saul to Paul, it can happen for us. But I believe there's a whole bunch of other people who do want to help and who want to say, you know what? Our world has fallen apart around us and I want to be part of something holy and I want to be part of something great. And I want to be part of something that God is doing in our world. Sign me up. I want to be a part. But maybe you're thinking right now, Pastor Matt, I'd love to help. I would love to do more. But right now I am living paycheck to paycheck and I don't know what more I can do to give. If that is you, then let me say to you, one of the gifts of this body, one of the gifts of this team, your team as the church is to say that we will come alongside you. We will be a paraclete people and we will sit down with you. And we have folks who are willing to sit down with you and go through your finances and help you budget and help you prioritize and how to figure out finances in such a way to allow us to be a more generous people. And if that's you this morning, you desire that, just mark it on your communication card today and we'll find a way to follow up with you. Because church, we need all of you, every single one, those here, those online, those at all of our worship spaces to be sold out with single-minded purpose and focus, not just for today, but for all the generations to come, for those we haven't even laid eyes on yet, to make the world a better place, to offer God's love and God's grace and God's holiness and God's beauty through our giving. So let us throw off everything that hinders and let us run the race with perseverance. Let us be encouraged. Let us be challenged. Let us be better. Amen.